0: Dolph fans and welcome into the Friday, September the 21st edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show we put the finishing touches on Raiders prep week. Some last minute observations regarding how the Dolphins can back up my lofty score prediction and win this game comfortably. Plus, injury updates, the curious case of Devontae Parker, and the return of college picks Friday. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating, leave us that review, help us get up those iTunes charts. And into the top 100. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown and check out LockdownDolphins.com. We have tons of new content for you guys every single day up there, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Lockdown Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast. For all that local and national coverage of your favorite teams, it's a Friday show. Let's go ahead and kick this bad boy off. All right. We do have some injury news, and it's actually positive today. Sounds like Rashad Jones should be good to go. Although he was a limited member of practice on Thursday afternoon, he is now reaching his hands up above his head. The shoulder appears to be okay, and Adam Gaze made a very cool comment saying that if his body parts are working, Rashad Jones is going to play. So if you guys were hoping he was going to be held out and saved for the New England Patriots game, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to play, regardless of the type of pain that he has. This guy has had some shoulder issues in the past. It was his other shoulder, fortunately. Still, nonetheless, kind of an aging guy, shoulder problems. I'm worried about that in his long-term future, but I am glad that he's going to play through it because he makes this team much, much better. Bobby McCain, I don't know where this injury came from, but he was limited as well in practice, but he will play on Sunday And John Denny also limited on Thursday's practice. Frank Gore had the day off, that that usual Thursday Veterans Day off for him. And the Raiders injury report is not up for Thursday yet, as I'm recording this late on Thursday evening, and I just haven't seen it yet. So we'll update you guys on that preview piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com. As you guys know, I preview the game every single week with the key matchups, the key things to look for, the schemes, the players, all that stuff. You can find it on LockedOnDolphins.com. But first, we have a podcast to get to. Let's go ahead and crank things up. That's another Miami Dolphins. I turned on the Raiders and Broncos game. I record the team we play the upcoming week on Sunday ticket every Sunday and I watch the film on the all 22 but I also like to watch the broadcast version because sometimes you can learn some things you can see some mannerisms you can kind of pay attention more closely in terms of the flow of the game and just kind of the general emotion of the game so I think that, that provides a secondary resource for me as a person that covers this team and tries to get you guys as much information about the Dolphins as well as their opponent every Sunday so here I am I watched that game And my first takeaway was that the Broncos just aren't that good for for a 2-0 team. And we're actually going to talk about this later in the podcast, the rest of the AFC. But for a 2-0 team, that offense is putrid. Case Keenum, to me, has always been the guy that he was back in with the Rams prior to going to the Vikings when they rode that excellent defense. And he kind of had that rabbit foot up his ass with some of his high arcing footballs. He would just chuck, chuck down there and hope that Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen would bail him out. And they did. Well, this Broncos offense is is different and I don't attribute that necessarily to the Raiders defense because they didn't blitz at all on that opening Monday night and then they came back in this game and sent a ton of pressure towards Case Keenum and I think they're going to continue to want to do that in the game against the Dolphins. If you guys know about Paul Gunther, he spent a lot of time in Cincinnati with the Bengals under Mike Zimmer and he loves that double-A gap blitz. They love to bring pressure up the interior both against the run and the pass and I think what the Dolphins can do To negate that is to go with 20 personnel where you have Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake in the backfield. No tight ends. Get them off the field because the Raiders want to play man coverage on the outside and press for the most part. Now they will mix in some zone coverages, but in that game that I saw, it was a lot of man coverage. And if they want to do that against these Dolphins receivers, be my guest. Be my fucking guest and take those guys man up and try to cover Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore with linebackers because they can both pass protect and they can catch the ball out of the backfield. I just don't see where the matchup for this Raiders defense benefits them, whether it's base, whether it's nickel, whether it's with the blitz, whether it's off coverage, eight man coverage, three man rush, whatever it might be. I, I'm not seeing it. I, I'm not trying to be a homer. I'm not trying to be, you know, beat my own chest over this 40-point, 40 40-burger 40 that I'm projecting. I just don't see where this team can possibly threaten this Dolphins offense. Now, we have seen in the past that this Dolphins offense can shoot itself in the foot with penalties, fumbles, interceptions. I think as long as Ryan Tannehill, avoids that early like first quarter interception that he seems to have in these games where the Dolphins are favored to win. If he can avoid that and just get that continuity rolling and get some first downs going, get that Temple offense going, it's going to be a long day for that Raider defense. And I told you guys the lock the lock of the week or me locking it up yesterday I was talking about JaKeem Grant getting deep on this defense or making a play on a screen or in the return game. But the more I watch that tape, I think there is an opportunity for a safety to be flexed out in man coverage and take a shot. At a Marcus Gilchrist or a Reggie Nelson, whoever it might be, I think Mike Gusecki might get some action this week in this game. Now, as far as the other side of the football, I want the Dolphins to send their own pressure at Derek Carr and get after him because his passer rating right now under pressure this season is 33.1. That is 32nd best in the NFL, dead last in the NFL among the starting quarterbacks. This interior offensive line has been really good in the past. It's not as good this year. Those tackles are absolutely dreadful. I posted a tweet yesterday showing you guys what Donald Penn's been up to. I think he's about 75 years old at this point, playing right tackle for the Raiders, right up John Gruden's wheelhouse. He gave up two forced fumbles to Von Miller last week. and Yeah, Von Miller is one of the best pass rushers in the game, maybe even of all time. But you see Donald Penn's slow feet, his kick slide, the the initial punch. He's a mess. He's an absolute mess out there. I expect Cam Wake to get after him. But if you want to send pressure and blitz the hell out of this quarterback and just play man up, I don't think Jordy Nelson has the athleticism to get free in the secondary. I think Xavier Howard can lock up Amari Cooper. I just think that all these matchups really bode well for the Dolphins by sending pressure and taking on the Raiders' pressure and passing right over that pressure and just really going to town on this football team with those man coverage looks on the outside from the Raiders, probably going to see lots of rubs and picks as we are wont to do in this Adam Gaze offense. So I'm very confident about this, very confident about this receiving crew against the Raiders' cornerbacks. And speaking of receivers... There is a receiver coming back for the Dolphins this week who I am constantly very hard on, and I'm going to give you a very extended rant or expose on why I feel the way I do about Devontae Parker. I'm going to go ahead and do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Rolling on on this second segment on the Friday, September the 21st podcast And we're playing music in the background, my favorite song written by Coheed and Cambria, our intro music here. But we have to go ahead and kill the music because it's time to take a bit of a serious tone, I suppose, if you want to call it that. I don't know, but... The curious case of Devontae Parker and why I feel like I need to make a statement about this on my own show and give you guys a peek behind why I feel the way I do about the embattled fourth-year Dolphins wide receiver. The curious case of Devontae Parker, and I think the reason I really feel this way is because someone on Twitter told me that Parker was, to me, what Ryan Tannehill is to Big O Orlando Alzagare. I still haven't figured out how to pronounce his name. And that comment made it clear to me that I need to address this on the podcast. And I don't know, I, I don't want to use the word disdain, but let's call it a lack of belief in, in Devontae Parker, my own lack of belief in Devontae Parker. And let's go ahead and go back all the way to where it began for me. I didn't like him coming out of Louisville. I thought there was very little explosiveness in terms of sudden twitch-like movement, quickness in and out of breaks. I thought he was only a yak guy when he was thrown into an open window and not able to really create his own yardage after the catch. I thought he was able to skate by on his immense talent and physical prowess and wasn't a pure route runner or a nuanced player at the receiver position. Every year before the draft, I watch the draft with a couple of my friends, the same two guys every year, and before I was on Twitter, I'd post it to Facebook, but every year, I tweet out a list to those two friends, and that list that goes out to them has three categories for Dolphins draft needs or wants or desires, and the first list of players are players that would be selected by Miami that will ensue in me stripping down naked and running around the neighborhood full of glee and excitement. Then there's a list of players to me that are meh, I could get on board with, but I'm not thrilled about it. And finally, a list of players that will quote-unquote make me turn the TV off. Not that I ever would, I'm too obsessed with this sport, this team, and this game, but I use that hyperbole to illustrate my point every year that I will not be happy. Parker was in that last category for me, and for the reasons I mentioned. But because he was now part of the family, and I feel like all fans of any particular team should always support a player until it becomes blatantly obvious that he isn't going to work out for that team. So with that in mind, I gave Devontae Parker the benefit of the doubt. I gave him a chance to earn my respectability and my admiration for him as a Miami Dolphins receiver. Then it was June before his rookie season and he needed foot surgery. So his rookie year I know he played early on, but it basically became a wash because he was not productive. He didn't get a lot of snaps. He was kind of in Joe Philbin's doghouse, which in another sense or another, another, I guess another universe is kind of a funny thing to say, but then he came on strong and had that game against the new England Patriots in that irrelevant week 17 U-Haul game. As it were, we call it U-Haul games when one team is getting ready to go into their off season and not really having anything to play for. And I thought, Hmm, Some of those plays look pretty A.J. Green-esque. Maybe I was wrong on this one. Maybe I need to reevaluate that. Then 2016 rolls around, and what do you know? Opening day, I'm there in Seattle. He's hurt again. Sure, it's just that one game, but then he comes back in week two against the New England Patriots, and Ryan Tannehill's leading this team back to what could have been an all-time great comeback in the franchise's history and in league history, and Tannehill's last pass is like a 25-yard prayer into the corner of the end zone, and Parker has a one-on-one matchup with a cornerback that is shorter than him, but because he failed to accurately time his jump, didn't really fight for the football, it gets picked off, the game is over, not a great effort from the receiver there. Doghoused once again. But then he comes back and has that touchdown against the Browns the very next week. And that was a beautiful route, a beautiful catch, a beautiful touchdown for the Miami Dolphins. More A.J. Green talent flashing on that play. Then he disappears for what? What was it, a month more than that? Ah, that's the guy that I knew. Then he finally has that stretch of dominance in 2016. The look of a true number one wideout that can take over football games, that can beat man coverage, that can elevate and catch contested footballs. He did it against the Chargers. He did it against the Rams, which is one of the great fourth quarter performances for a Dolphins receiver we have ever seen. He looked fantastic in that game. They couldn't cover him. He caught everything. He looked incredible. We thought he maybe had arrived because the next game against the 49ers, he's doing it again, looking great in that game. The main target for Ryan Tannehill in that game. But in that same game, he gets hurt. And he becomes essentially useless for the rest of the year. He had a couple of catches, a couple of, uh, I think a big touchdown against the Buffalo Bills. But for the most part, he was off the face of the earth once again. Then he scores just one touchdown in 2017. One after he was being hyped as this all-time fantasy superstar receiver in 2017 with Jay Cutler. It's going to be awesome. They're going to be great. Just one touchdown, 630 receiving yards. He gets hurt again. He shows the same lack of desire to fight for the football again. The passer rating on balls targeted for Devontae Parker was near the bottom of the entire NFL. His passer rating as a receiver, very, very poor in 2017. Now it's 2018, and he is hurt again. Four for four, batting a 1,000, getting hurt every single year of his professional career. Every year, missed at least one game. It's two games this year, and every year, he's failed to display the talent that so many people insist that he has. You guys know I watch a shitload of film, a shitload of football. Go ahead, watch his reps in the red zone on all 22. Teams man him up one-on-one and he consistently loses off that boundary side of the formation where you have a two-way go against one cornerback. It's an inside slant, a fade route, a back shoulder. You have options and he can't get off that coverage. He's stuck to that corner. That's a position that has to win down in the red zone in order for the red zone to be consistently successful. So here we are in 2018. Miami has finally cultivated a receiving crew that I absolutely love from top to bottom and that does not include Devontae Parker. Why should it? Broken dreams, broken promises, and most of all, broken body parts. To wrap it all up, He has consistently shown a lack of professionalism as a pro in Miami. There was the whole diet plan thing this offseason where Kenny Stills was making jokes, but at the same time being serious like, dude, how do you not have a diet plan? Your body is your entire career at this level. He's always, always Snapchatting himself, lip syncing to some song. I'm sorry, but I have never seen a grown man do that ever. I've seen 21-year-old girls do that, but not a man. I don't think he's a guy that takes this profession seriously. I don't think he views it as a job. I think he always has gotten by on talent and that physical prowess. And now that he's a pro, doesn't know how to turn on that quote unquote dog switch, that switch that makes the pros realize they're going to have to work hard even at this level to get by. We've heard it from Clyde Christensen. We've heard it from Adam Gaze. And I had Joe Shad on the podcast last year, and they've all talked about his work habits being an issue and how it's not consistent on a week by week basis. Now you come out last week, I I know he wanted to play in the game, but to talk negatively about his personal position when the team won a game is total bullshit. It goes against all football code at every level of football, whether it's Pee Wee or the NFL. I just don't like it. So if you all want to count on this guy's potential after four years of being a total flop, by all means, go ahead. If he balls out this year, nobody would be happier than me. You guys know that. I'm just not going to wait around on it anymore, especially when Miami has three guys that are ranked in the top 30 for efficiency at wide receiver this season. All right, enough about Devonte Parker. I've got my college picks and a wrap around the NFL. We'll do that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Let's go ahead and kick off the third segment of this Friday podcast for September the 21st, and I had a couple of requests for music on this podcast, so I'm going to do that, and we're going to get to my college picks. But first, I figured we'd start off in the NFL and spend a minute talking about the rest of the league As the year goes along, I'll start getting deeper into the teams that Miami is fighting for a playoff spot with once the standings actually begin to take shape, but first I want to go over each team and tell you where I think they'll be come December, and we'll start off in the AFC East, the New England Patriots once again. I think that's going to be a little bit closer in terms of the division race this year. I still don't want to put anybody over the Patriots. I think that would be homeristic, to say the least, at this point, so they're still going to be there. The Bills are an absolute travesty. They're going to be at the bottom of the division. The Jets, I picked them to go, I think, 6-10. and 10. That seems about right for me right now. Over in the AFC North, I was down on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I feel pretty good about that prediction. Sounds like there's a lot of turmoil there. I don't believe in Big Ben is what he used to be. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell and that defense, not very good. Excuse me. Cincinnati Bengals, are pretty high on them. That's a good pass rush. Their offense has versatility this year. Offensive line's better. I think they'll be right in the race towards the end. The Baltimore Ravens, I think they're a 500 football team, but I think they'll certainly be in that hunt, competing with Miami, a team that we should definitely root against every week this season. The Cleveland Browns, as soon as they go to Baker Mayfield, they'll get better. As soon as they fire Hugh Jackson, they'll be better. But those two things are going to make them an absolutely awful team until they change those two things. In the AFC South, The Jacksonville Jaguars, I might look really dumb on that one because I thought they were going to come back to the pack because I do not believe in Blake Bortles, but that defense is absolutely legendary. The Houston Texans wasn't very big on them. They're very paper thin. I don't think they'll be in the race this year. Tennessee Titans, Marcus Mariota still can't get it done. I'm not too worried about them. Plus, we have a victory in our back pockets over them. And then the Indianapolis Colts actually might be better than I predicted at first because Andrew Luck looks healthy, which I wasn't sure was going to be the case. But he looks good. That defense is playing better. That offensive line looks good. Over in the West, the Kansas City Chiefs offense is going to carry them quite a long way this year, I believe. I believe. I think they'll probably win that division, if not for the LA Chargers, who are going to be right there too. So the Chargers and the Chiefs, two teams we have to really keep an eye on. I am not buying this early Denver Broncos success so far. Talked about Case Keenum and that offense. They have a long way to go. They had two narrow home victories against two teams that I believe are really, really bad in the Seattle Seahawks and the Oakland Raiders. So we'll see what happens with them going forward. But that's my wrap around the NFL so far. We'll try to do this more in the podcast on Fridays. And although I wasn't able to get it out to you guys last week because I took a week off from my college betting, I did wind up taking a teaser that won, which again, I realize sounds fishy as hell because I'm not talking about it on the podcast. But nonetheless, my record is losing so far. So don't take these picks too seriously. But these are my six picks for the weekend in college football. You guys can bet on these over at my bookie if you like, or however you want to do that. They are this. Georgia and Missouri over 64 points. I think that Drew Locke is going to find a way to score late when that team is getting smoked, and Missouri's defense is so bad that Georgia will score at will. I'm betting against Bama. Why? I don't know. I'm a masochist. I think that Kellen Mond has what it takes to do enough on that Bama defense to keep it close. They are getting 27 points. Take the Aggies there over the Crimson Tide at 27. The next game, Arizona getting six points against Oregon State. I know Arizona has been dreadful, but Oregon State is a joke of a football program. I'll take the Wildcats with Khalil Tate. Up next, South Carolina is getting or giving two points to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is not a football school. South Carolina just got whipped by Georgia, but they'll be back. They'll be fine. Michigan State, minus 4.5 against Indiana. I believe in Brian Lewerke. If you guys can't tell, I like certain quarterbacks. I like to bet on them. I'll take Michigan State to rebound against Indiana after a week off. And then UW, the University of Washington, and Arizona State, under 50 points. Both those teams play good defense. Both those offenses are terrible. And those are my college picks. And that is going to do it for the podcast for the week. Hopefully the next time I talk to you guys, we're talking about a 3-0 Miami Dolphins team, but that is my time for you guys today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked LockedOnFins and keep up to date on our daily Dolphins blog, at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night, a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again on Sunday evening for hopefully a Victory Monday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.